Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 9. We'll be in Mark 9, beginning in verse 14. If you're visiting with us, my name is Mark. I get to be one of the ministers here at the church, and uh, we're glad you're with us here this Sunday morning. And uh, we're going to continue where we were last uh, month, or excuse me, last week in Mark chapter 9, looking over the last month at Jesus beginning to reveal himself as he starts to head toward Jerusalem in the crucifixion. He knows it's coming. He needs, uh, he's creating the environments by which he can go in and make the sacrifice he needs to make for all of our behalf. Last week, if you were with us in Mark chapter 9, we looked at the Mount of Transfiguration, which was a moment in which the glory of God was revealed in Jesus, not just through him, but in him. <clears throat> and the disciples who were there with him that, that moment, Peter, James, and John, knew that they had seen something that revealed that Jesus was not just a good teacher, not just a miracle worker, but he was God himself. And like every circumstance in life, when you have a mountaintop experience, when it ends, you got to go back down. And what takes place in our text today is the opposite of this mountaintop experience. It's a reality check. But as we head that direction, I want to ask you a question. It's a complicated question to start with, but I want you to ponder it with me today. Uh, Is your faith in God derived because he has done what you wanted him to do? Or because you know he is good even when he hasn't? I want to pose that again. Is your faith, and I'm not not trying to condemn anybody, but I want you to question yourself today. Is your faith in Jesus because he did something you wanted him to do and proved himself? Or because you know he's good even when he has left you in the condition you wish you weren't in? It's the question of faith that's going to be answered today. And Jesus is going to use a set of circumstances to give us the ability to overcome our circumstances by faith and what that looks like. Let's go ahead and begin in verse 14 of Mark 9. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. This is an ugly passage of scripture. Ugly in that it makes me feel uncomfortable. Jesus gets harsh with his disciples because of their failure, or so it seems. But I think if we look at it intelligently and with the light of all of Scripture, we'll see maybe a different understanding of what takes place here and what Jesus is doing. You see, for two years, and what I'm going to do this morning, and I need to tell you, I'm going to walk you through the story and then make two very brief and very pointed applications to us at the end. So I think it'll be, some of the applications will be some of the most important things I ever get to say to this church. So if you fall asleep, when I get to the application, wake up and notice what we're talking about because I think it makes a difference. Having looked at this, there's a, the moment of this story is rough. Jesus has been on the Mount of Transfiguration. The glory of God was revealed in him, not through him, but in him. 
and the disciples understood who he was. He has this wonderful moment where God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And everyone now knows that Jesus is God. He's not a junior God on internship. He's not learning how to be God. He's God. And in this moment, he comes down off that mountaintop experience. And haven't we all realized that? That life will give us great highs, followed by almost immediately average, mundane, boring lows. Some that cripple us and devastate us, and some that just leave us right exactly where we were, and we're kind of like, eh, maybe it wasn't so good. And it can steal the joy of the mountaintop. If you were here last week, I told you that there was a lot taking place on the mountain of transfiguration when Jesus was transfigured and the glory of God was revealed through him and to him and by him. And all of this was taking place. It reminded us of Moses going on Mount Sinai and receiving the Ten Commandments. You might remember that I pointed out that Moses asked God if he could see his glory and God's like, nah, bro, I'd kill you. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a glimpse of it. And that glimpse of the glory of God so altered Moses' life And then Jesus goes on the mountain and he is transfigured and shown to be God and the disciples fall down and say, we need shelter. And Jesus is like, I am your shelter. I will protect you in my glory. Little did they know that would mean the suffering of Calvary and the resurrection, but he had made that promise. And there's some similarities that out of the glory of the transfiguration comes the tragedy of what takes place at the bottom of the hill. But if you look at these, it's kind of Very similar because Moses, when he came down off the mountain with the two tablets, right, what did he find? They were down there doing the golden calf boogie, right? They were worshiping the golden calf. There was an orgy taking place. They'd gone into idolatry almost immediately, and Moses was incensed when he came down at the tragedy of the valley following the mountaintop. And so Jesus is on this mountain, and he comes down, and on the transfiguration, it happens on a mountain, and this happens in the valley. On the transfiguration, there was great glory. Here, there is only suffering. In the transfiguration, God's president dominates. Down here, Satan's dominates. In the transfiguration, there's a perfect son in a damaging presence. And at the bottom, there's a damaged son in a perfecting presence. God is showing us through the circumstances that even Jesus went through the highs and lows of living in a world that's broken. So we have this dramatic scene. A boy has been brought to the disciples And they gather around and they're trying to heal him. But while they're healing him, there's arguments going on. And it might help us understand Jesus' reaction when he comes down and the religious leaders and the disciples, who should be caring for this father and son, are instead arguing over who's right. The the religious leaders are trying so hard to prove they're right, they don't even care about the child. And they're making their point that you can't heal him. See, you have no power. You're not legitimate. This is not right. And they're arguing about this. And Jesus comes down and he asks the question, what are you guys arguing about? And a man in the crowd doesn't allow them to answer. He rushes up. Verse 17, let's read it again. Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Now see, I want to be really careful. We have to walk through the story gently. Not because we'll ruin it, but we can miss the point being made. From from what we've studied over the last 70-some weeks through the gospel accounts, have the disciples ever cast out a demon to this point? The answer would be yes, they have. So what they were trying to do was not like the time, I can't imagine, you know, I never did this, but some of you may have had a similar experience. You know, mom and dad are gone for the weekend, and the car's in the garage, and there's a set of keys, and 
you think, well, mom and dad aren't here, I'll take it for a test drive. And you took it out to experience all of it and realize it was a lot bigger and heavier and it took more control than you thought. And you put it back in the garage and you learned your lesson. Is that what the disciples were doing? Did they take the car out for a test drive and jack it up? No, they had actually done this before. And this time they couldn't cast out the demon. And they're perplexed. And then they're being attacked by the religious leaders who are mocking them and trying to take away their credibility in the community. And you have this circumstance. And Jesus is like, what are you guys arguing about? And his father says, help my son. Can you understand what he's going through? He doesn't care who's right. He wants his son well. Oh, church, if I can pause for a moment and be a preacher, let me tell you this. The world doesn't care about our petty little arguments and factions about which side is right. They only care that we have an answer to their problem. And the church has shot itself in the foot for its entire life by arguing over the factions of who's right and whose techniques are better instead of actually bringing people to Jesus. His father is just begging for someone to help him. And I know, unfortunately, in this room, there are a lot of people who are begging the same prayer today. They just want Jesus to fix what's broken. They don't care about any of the arguments taking place. They don't care about all the theological discussions. They just want to know that God cares about them. And Jesus responds in verse 19 to the context. Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? That sounds nasty, doesn't it? Sounds like Jesus is just in a bad mood and he's ripping the disciples. How could you fail? I'm embarrassed. I don't think that's what he's doing. I think what he's actually saying to them is, you guys aren't picking this up. I'm not going to be here much longer. And when I'm gone, what will you do? When I'm gone, if you don't understand what I've empowered you to do and you don't understand where that power comes from, what will happen when I'm not here? He goes on, he says, how, shall I, how long shall I put up with you? Your lack of unbelief, because that would seem like a harsh question unless you answer it this way. Had the disciples seen him cast out demons, church? Had they seen him perform miracles? Did they see him control nature? He's done a lot of amazing things. Is it unfair of him or ornery of him to look at them and say, have you not been paying attention? Because I'm going to leave and all of this will be yours. You have to lean on belief, not doubt. I think that's what he's saying. He's not saying you're worthless. He's not saying, get away from me. I can't stand the fact that you never get this right. He's not trashing them. He's asking a profound question. He says, you should have been able to do this, but because of your disbelief, you couldn't, which would have been a shocking statement to them because the reason they even tried was because they believed. And we're going to see what the distinction is in just a moment. He says, bring the boy to me. And they bring them, or he says, bring him to me. And they bring the child to him. And what I love about this is the father is going to get what he wanted. And Satan's going to get the exact opposite of what he wanted. And that's when Jesus shows up. That's what happens. They would both come face to face with the sovereign Lord. And this is what we're all supposed to do. That's the, the context of this story is I asked you the question, do you have belief in Jesus because he did what you wanted him to do? Or can you have belief in Jesus when he doesn't what, do what you want him to do? Because one is a biblical faith and one is a man-made fleshly faith. And Jesus is addressing this. Verse 20. 
So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. Classy, huh? Uh, I've told you before, I'm one of four boys, and it wasn't uncommon when a fight was going on, and we could hear my dad coming up the stairs or into the room because my dad wore all of his work keys on his belt so you knew when he was moving because it sounded like reindeer. And so there was always a warning system. I think he probably did that on purpose, but my dad would come around the corner and always, maybe I did it on occasion, my brothers always did it. Someone had to get that last shot in. Do you understand what I'm saying? Dad's about to turn the corner, there's one more punch, and then you pull away, and my dad, stop it, what? I didn't do anything. You know, that kind of thing. So you have a moment here when the demon is attacking this boy. Jesus comes in, and the demon takes one more shot at devastating this child. Classy. Really tacky. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? Really? You want a medical history now? How about you heal him, and then we'll go over the facts? I mean, and did Jesus actually need to know his medical history? So I'm an impatient person. That might horrify some of you and shock you that your preacher's human, but I am a terribly impatient person. And there have been a few occasions I've had to go into the emergency room. Now, for all the doctors and nurses and administrators in the room, please forgive me. You can fall asleep and we'll be even. But here's what takes place. You ever gone into an emergency room with a real emergency and they're more worried about getting your medical information and your, and I understand why they need it. I'm not making fun of it. But if you ever want to say, can you stop me from bleeding and then you can get my insurance card? Am I the only person who wants to look him in the eyes and go, can we get priorities established? Because it doesn't seem like this emergency room takes my emergency as an emergency. This guy comes, he brings his son to Jesus. The son goes into a full convulsion. And Jesus says to him, so how long has he been like this? All right, if you take a few moments in the story, you're going to understand that seems out of order. And the, the dad answers from childhood. It has... It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. He said, imagine a dad who can't leave his child alone. Because when this happens, he gets flung into a lake and tries to drown him. Or he's thrown into a fire and they have to pull him out so he doesn't burn. Or throw him off the edge of a cliff so he'll die. The demon wants nothing more than to devastate this this child's life and ruin everything as demons do. And Jesus knows that this father has spent every waking moment worrying and wondering about his son. And he's asking the father. He's not asking the father because he needs the information. He's asking the father because he's trying to understand that he wants the father to understand rather that he cares. This isn't just to get him out of my way. He wants to know his story. Our stories matter to God. They do. And he's asking him about this story. I worked at a church camp. It's one of the great pleasures of my life for about six or seven summers. I worked at a camp uh, and I got to hang out with a lot of cool people. When I became lifeguard of the pool at the camp, what I would do is I'd just corral all the staff and faculty kids that were there at the week, the little peanuts, and I would go up and clean the pool every morning. It was one of my responsibilities is to vacuum out the pool. And I'd take the little people and let them swim in the shallow end while I was vacuuming because when the big kids came in, it was crazy and guys were showing off for girls and people could get injured, you know. So I just wanted the kids to have a safe place to swim and it gave their parents a break in the morning while they were teaching or doing whatever. There was a couple that came from northern Indiana to the camp and they had a son and he was a cute little kid and he he had a Cubs hat on so he was of God and so I said to the parents, let me take him up to the pool. I'll watch him this morning while you're teaching and the mom said, no, no explanation, no. And I thought, I'm not going to harm him and it's kind of like, what did I do? And found out later that afternoon from the husband that the reason she said no is because they had monitors that they wore all the time that were connected to their son's heart 
his heart would stop for no reason at all, and they had to be within 50 yards of him at all times or so that when his heart stopped, they would have to start it. What a horrible set of circumstances for those parents. I totally understood it wasn't about me. It never was. It was about they loved their child enough, but they lived every day. One of them slept in his room every night. Could you imagine the pain of those parents wondering, is this the day his heart stops again? Well, the beautiful part of that story is he had surgery when he was old enough and strong enough, and they corrected that, and he's miles away from his folks now, and everyone's happy. But you see, this father lived with that same fear. He said, every time I turn around, the demons attack, and they try to kill my son. And Jesus wants to know his story. You see, God is building our faith, not just fixing our condition. If you want to understand what he's trying to do here, please understand this truth. God is trying to build our faith, not just fix our circumstances. For those of you hurting like this father right now, you know someone or you are that someone who just wants God to fix your now. Understand, he cares about it more than you. And he is building your faith during this as much as you would wish he wasn't. He's building your faith. He's not just going to fix your condition. And yet he is still able to fix your condition. Church, do you hear me? Is our faith just simply because he did what we want? Or is our faith because we trust him even when he doesn't? Jesus asked him the question. The father says, can you? Can you do anything? And Jesus responds in verse 23, if you can. Now, I love this because in my mind, Jesus has a little bit of cockiness every now and then. And this is one of those moments. He's like, really? If I can? Watch me. Everything is possible for those who believe. He says, yeah, I can do anything you allow me to do. Did you catch that? Yeah, I can do anything that your belief opens up to. Even when I haven't fixed your circumstances, I can. Even if I choose not to fix your circumstances, I can. You see, you have to ask yourself, it's not the veracity of your faith, it's who your faith is put in. It's not how much you trust him, but who you're trusting. See, earlier in Mark chapter 1, a man with leprosy said to Jesus, since you can, will you? In other words, he knew who Jesus was, and as a leper, he said to him, will you? I know you can, will you? This father asked a different question. He says, you will, but can you? Is that an unfair question? Jesus said, if I can. Remember, this man didn't know who Jesus was. He knew he was a miracle worker. He'd just seen nine of his disciples fail miserably at casting the demon out of his son. It's not an unfair question to say, if you have their power, this isn't going to work, is it? And Jesus said, if you believe it will. He's not just simply saying, if we believe in anything, anything will happen. He said, if you believe in me, you'd be amazed at what I can do. And that's where our faith should rely. It's not an issue of the power of the believers. It's an issue in who the belief is placed on. Immediately, verse 24, the boy's father explained, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And there is the prayer every one of us should pray. I do believe. I wouldn't come to you, God, if I didn't believe in you. But do I believe enough to give you full trust that you'll do it the best way, not just my way? All the while, the son is thrashing around on the ground. Don't forget that scene. I would have lost my patience and said, God, can we talk about this later? Fix him. But remember, Jesus is building the man's faith because Jesus has no concern that the boy's going to be okay. The father's only concern is that he's going to be okay. And Jesus knows, I got this. 
no matter how long it takes. Remember, Lazarus' family called and said, hey, Jesus, we haven't been there yet, but we're getting there. Hey, Lazarus is dying, and Jesus is like, yeah, tell him I'll be there in a couple days. And they're like, why didn't you come right now? If you'd have come immediately, this would have been over. Jesus is like, no, it's already over. That's why I delayed. See, verse 25, when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit, you deaf and mute spirit, which is funny because the father never told Jesus he was deaf, just he couldn't speak. If you want to know if Jesus understands your circumstances, he already knows details you don't even know. He said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The, the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently. One more punch before dad shows up and came out. The boy looks so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. Verse 27 is beautiful. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. I'm looking forward to that day, especially the older I get. I'm tired of this broken world. I'm tired of what it does to people. I'm tired of the pain people live in. And I don't mean like I'm tired, like I'm angry about it. I am just tired of what we've done to our own world and how it treats us. And isn't it going to be awesome that what Satan throws down, Jesus will pick up? Church, think about that. What Satan knocks to the ground in their worst moments of life, Jesus is going to grab them by the hand like he did the little girl named Talitha, and he's going to say, stand up. It's like he did to this boy who looked like he was dead. He took him by the hand and he stood up. What Satan throws down, Jesus picks up. Verse 28, after Jesus had gone indoors, the disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? That's not an embarrassing question. In fact, if you were embarrassed, you never would have asked it. He said, what happened? And he replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. This kind. He uses the Greek word uh, G-E-N-O-S, means species or type. Jesus said, no, no, listen, you were able to cast out demons before, but the kind of demon you face today, you don't have the power to do it. It's a power that only comes from God. You see, this isn't a lesson on how to cast out demons. It isn't a lesson on how to do miracles or raise dead people. This is simply a lesson on how to access the power of God on behalf of the things of God. In fact, in Matthew chapter 17, it's fascinating to me that Matthew tells the same story. He includes something that Mark and Luke don't. Matthew says, because you have, Jesus saying them, because you have so little faith, he's not saying you have none. He's saying your faith is tiny and it can grow. Because you have so little faith, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. But please understand, Jesus isn't saying that if you master enough faith, you don't need him. You can move mountains. No, you can't do anything God doesn't permit you to do, church. What he's saying is, if you have faith in the source of your power, not in yourself. If you have faith in the source of your power, God will get you in on things you can't do by yourself. He said to the disciples, you are relying on your own power. You are not seeking where the power came from. And how does that power arrive? Prayer. So here, if you've tuned out, tune back in. Here's what this story means to you and me. Humble helplessness is the first step to accessing the power of God. A humble helplessness. It's admitting I can do nothing without Jesus. And I should do nothing that's not for his glory. It's a humble helplessness. It's not just saying, I'm failing, I'm failing, help me. It's simply saying, without you, nothing I do matters. 
This is what the father cried when he said, I do believe, help me with my unbelief. Saying to Jesus, I'm not good at this faith stuff. Maybe the most genuine prayer any single one of us could ever pray. I don't know what to do next. I don't know how to trust well. I'm selfish. I'm self-centered. I do what I want to do, and then I expect you to fix it, God. I'm sorry. That's my prayer this week. I've begun in my prayer journal every morning, repenting by opening up and saying to God, I don't know yesterday that I looked for a single person to share the gospel with. And I have to own that. And God's not in heaven going, I know, loser. God's in heaven going, you're not good at this. That's why you're relying on your own ability. You never asked me once yesterday to show you someone to share the gospel with. So I prayed that prayer yesterday morning and I went to get gas in town and I stopped at Casey's and I was filling up a gas can and this guy walks over to me and he says, hey, and it was just, he lied, but he goes, do you know what time it is? And I went, yeah, it's blah, blah, blah. And he goes, uh, thank you, here's a tract. And the tract said, if you need Jesus, I know him. And I thought to God, you think you're funny, don't you? <laughs> ha, ha, ha. I was like, I love it. You see, our faith is not supposed to be perfect. But it is sufficient when it's based on Jesus. So is our faith derived because God did what we want him to do? Or is our faith based on the fact that God is always right even when he doesn't fix my condition? Second thing, it takes a humble helplessness. First thing, faith, or second, faith requires that you give God your most precious things. What did the father give Jesus? Faith? Nope. His son. And that therein was his faith. So for some of us today, we have to give God that thing that we're trying to protect. I said, some of you are the father. You have something that's dying and you're panicked. Give that to Jesus. You can't control it. You can't stop it. Give it to Jesus. It may be physical needs. It may be relational needs. It may be financial needs. Give those things. This isn't a gimmick. Give those things to Jesus and say to him, you can change this. I can't. And surrender in your helplessness, but give it to him because you know he has the power and ability to change things. And even if he doesn't, trust him anyway. And how do you do that? You pray. Now, prayer is not saying that if you had 35 minutes where you just waxed eloquently to God for all 35 minutes that you're a good prayer. Uh-uh. Communication is based on the heart of the people communicating to one another. The thing that Jesus wants most from us and for us is for us to give ourselves to him in confidence. Expectant confidence. You see, God is building our faith. He's not just fixing our condition. Because out of the glory of knowing Jesus comes the power of our faith. The Mount of Transfiguration right into the valley was simply to display that the glory of God was not confined to the mountaintop. It can be found anywhere. 1 Peter 1.8 Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Your faith must be based on who Jesus is, not what he's done. Now, I know Calvary and the resurrection are substantial. I'm not saying they don't matter. But if you live your entire life only looking at, has God met my expectations, then he is not your God. Isaiah chapter 42, there's that passage that's quoted about Jesus. It says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax will he not quench. And I'm thinking, what? What that means is he's gentle. He's not going to destroy you 
for having moments where you're weak. He's going to strengthen you. And that's where this all begins. Greg Nettle, now don't picture the third baseman for the Yankees, picture the preacher in Cleveland. Greg says, don't let your prayers go unanswered because they go unprayed. I want you to think about that. Don't let your prayers go unanswered because they go unprayed. Why could the disciples not cast out the demon? Because they did not pray and ask for God's power. They relied on their own abilities and their past experiences. So the challenge for those of you who are like the father in this story who are hurting today, and it may be you're hurting for yourself or you're hurting for somebody else, but it doesn't change the reality. Prayer is where our power and our source of strength comes from. And if you're a believer in Jesus and you become a disciple of Jesus and you're not praying, I said it rather strongly first hour and I was told to be more gentle. What I said the first hour, which I'd never say to you is, get over it. But what I'm going to say to you now is, learn to get over it. Is that better? Because if you really want to live a disciple's life, you should be hearing the voice of your master daily and talking to your master in terms like this. Sir, what would, I, what would you have me do today? How can I serve your purposes? Where can I do a better job of pleasing you? Because when you know that he will not snap a, a bruised plant, he will not snap it and throw it away, then you know he'll care for you. You see, if you and I are not praying, there is no power in our lives. You can believe all the Bible promises you want, but how do you engage them? Jesus came down and said, my glory is found in prayer. Don't let your prayers go unanswered because they go unprayed. So this morning, what I'd like to do just briefly is I'd like us to get over it. And I'd like us to pray. Maybe you're the father in the story and the person you want to pray for right now is someone who, without Jesus, is not going to make it. Or maybe you're the child in the story. And the world has just kicked you to the point that you can't get up and you find yourself constantly broken and battered by what's going on around you. I know some of your stories in this room and I know you're one of the, the two. And maybe you sit here today and go, I don't know if I'm either. Then you pray for those who are. Because the power of the gospel will work if we engage the power. And, and we just don't make it about ourselves. So what I'd like us to do is just spend a few moments of silence this morning. You do it however you want. Some of you pray with your hands in the air. Some of you get down on your knees. Some of you just sit and stare off. You don't have to close your eyes, bow your head. You don't have to do any of those gimmicks. Have a conversation with God today. Start with, help me in my unbelief. And watch what God might do through the power of prayer. Pray for someone today, even if it's yourself. And then I'll close. Father, we confess this morning that you don't have to do another thing for us to have been proven to be good, kind, and just. But we want to ask you to do another thing. You've heard the words and prayers offered to you this morning. You've heard the hearts of people, some with tears, some with anger and grief, 
Some are just praying in fear for another person who, is, who doesn't know that you have the power, that you are the power and you're the hope. God, we know that you cure every one of their issues, whether it's on this side of life or on the other side in death, that you will cure it all. You will bring it all back together in perfection. Thank you for being forgiving for those moments that we cry out. Can we talk about how long this has been happening after you fix it? And you still want to have that conversation with us because you're building our faith, not changing our conditions. I pray for those who have cried out to you today, God, and they're wondering if any of this is real. Would you do something today? Would you bring peace to them and hope? And God, we'll wait on you because you're worth waiting on. We give our hearts to you because you are our creator and we know you're real. And we pray because we trust that if Jesus said there is a power available to us to know your will and become a part of your will through prayer, that's what we want. God, build our faith today. We need it. Help us in our unbelief. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.